and welcome to CCBJ Perspectives, where we provide access to leaders and influencers within the ever-evolving ecosystem of lawyers and legal professionals. Joining us today is Jennifer Bantelman. Jennifer is a technologist focused on strategy, customer experience, workflow, process improvement, and product in the legal tech industry. She has worked in software and technology for over a decade and holds an MA in strategic communication. She currently leads solutions engineering at Zapproved, where she ensures product feature functionality and technical capabilities are designed and implemented in ways that solve real world problems. Jennifer is a speaker and content contributor on a variety of technology, data preservation, and e-discovery issues, and is the chair of the PREX conference. Jennifer, it's a pleasure to have you with us today. Thank you for taking the time out of your very busy schedule. If it's okay, we can just jump right in. So Jennifer, typically what are the drivers that move organizations to bring e-discovery in-house? Well, at an enterprise level, it starts with a balancing act that legal teams usually find themselves facing, where there are pressures for business growth and support of that growth. And that typically increases company costs and risks. While within the legal department, there's an increased pressure, especially now, to reduce risks and reduce costs. So the biggest cost drivers I generally see within a traditional e-discovery team are over-reliance on outside counsel, over-investment in complex software that the team doesn't fully adopt or know how to use, and too much manual effort in various parts of the discovery process. Often I see folks struggling across all three fronts. And the best way of addressing these areas tends to be in sourcing all or some of the more downstream processes. Well, what types of matters make the most sense to bring in-house? Internal investigations, government investigations, general litigation. What have you observed as the most sensible types of work to bring in? It's really all about leaning into your in-house expertise. So generally, your team will have a lot of knowledge and expertise around routine matters, whatever routine matters means to you. It'll vary by organization, but what usually makes the most sense to move in-house are things like internal investigations, smaller matters, regardless of what their makeup is, labor and employment cases, as well as routine regulatory response and third-party records requests. These are usually consistent enough in strategy and simple enough in workflow that they're ideal for bringing in-house and you can usually reduce both the costs and the time to insights in a case. Now, it usually makes sense to eliminate what you know you don't want to handle exclusively in-house also. So let's say a class action or a major patent case or antitrust, you probably don't staff at the level that you would need to manage a really large scale review completely in-house, nor should you. So you almost always want to leverage outside counsel partnerships to reduce the risk and ensure a successful case in those kinds of matters. But that said, it's not an all or nothing where we have to do this completely in-house or we have to completely use outside partnerships. From a spend perspective, you can often reduce costs, even of a larger case, by controlling your data in-house for as long as possible. 
typically that's usually going to take the shape of doing more of the initial processing and culling your data in-house before you provide it to outside counsel. That's typically going to allow you to drastically reduce the hosting and the reviewer fees that you might have to spend even on a larger case. So Jennifer, how can organizations analyze the return on investment or ROI and what are the key performance metrics or KPIs that you suggest they track? This is one of my very top favorite topics to talk through. Uh, it really starts with making sure that you know why you're conducting an ROI analysis, because you'll track and report different metrics depending on what you're trying to solve. So in this case, if you're trying to secure budget to get a new technology approved or to get buy-in for change management, then I think it makes sense to start with asking some questions. Some of my favorite questions are, where are you now? Where are you going? You know, what are your objectives? What's the management commitment? Are you trying to report these out because you're trying to keep what you have or to show successes or to get that buy-in for change management? You need to understand if you're trying to convince your boss or if you're just trying to support a case that your boss already believes in. Also, what is your company risk culture and risk appetite? What staffing, expertise, budget, and other resources do you have available in-house? And then are there any company or executive priorities that you can align your ROI to? So once you have those answers, then I always recommend you look for actual numbers. Broadly speaking, for e-discovery, you should expect to see metrics that you can track across process improvement, spend reduction, and risk mitigation. In process improvement, you'll most likely look at soft cost reduction. But these are still real metrics that you can track, even if they don't result in hard dollar savings that you can actually point to in a line item. The things that you're going to look for here to measure are reduction in time spent to issue a hold or time spent on processing a data set. Those are good metrics here. Spend reduction. This one is probably the most intuitive because these are going to be the hard dollar savings that everyone thinks about when you actually think about a return on investment. So for this, you actually do look at the bottom line. How much less data is being sent out? How much less time is being spent uh, that you are paying for with outside counsel? How much less is your average case costing? Risk mitigation is probably the toughest of these to put an actual number to, but it's still important to track, doubly so because I think it's often overlooked. With risk mitigation, you want to look for things like improved data governance, reduction in your legal risk footprint, reduction in time spent defending your practices because you feel better about the processes and everything that are in place. Now, across all of these, again, the key is have actual numbers that you can measure. And if you're trying to show a return on investment, that implies that you know what your investment was before. So track now if you want to be able to report on a return on investment six months from now or a year from now. Your reportability is only going to be as good as the data that you're actually tracking. 
So one of the things that I talk to many people about in terms of ROI or KPIs or reducing spend is what that looks like in the culture of the organization. So I do think that your breakdown between the process improvement, the spend management, and the risk management makes a great deal of sense. In terms of process improvement, typically what are you looking at organizations trying to achieve? Are they trying to achieve reduced headcount or is it opportunity cost to them? Is there a theme that you've seen through the industry? There is. With streamlining of processes, process improvement, generally speaking, it's pretty much never as cut and dry as we want to be able to reduce headcount. What it usually is, is, hey, the team is already really lean and we're having trouble meeting our obligations as far as our turnaround times and the work that we already need to do. We need to create some efficiencies so that everybody is actually empowered to do the job that they need to do. And so what we're usually looking at here is reduction in time that people are spending across the board. This actually is what allows you to bring on more in-house as well. So I have yet to work with a company that actually reduced their legal headcount because they streamlined their processes. Usually what it results in is that they reduce their legal spend because they streamlined processes enough that they were able to take more in-house downstream. So things like, I, I work with a lot of folks who started out outsourcing just about everything post-collection. And as they streamlined their processes further upstream in the EDRM, they were able to bring in more of those routine cases and actually start managing those end-to-end in-house because they had the additional staffing time from those process improvements. So as legal professionals move from one industry to another, how do you suggest they map out their strategy or tactics to identify the critical data sets? I think the first order of business is to find out what the current landscape is. That's usually going to involve assessing your data maps and seeing how comprehensive they are and also how up-to-date they are. So making sure that it's not a data map that was put in place 15, 20 years ago and then never updated, or if that is the case, knowing that as soon as possible because that gives you a pretty good idea of where to start understanding what your regulatory responsibilities are, as well as what systems and processes are currently in place. Once you know that information, there's typically going to be a really clear starting point where you're going to be able to start affecting improvements. A tip I always like to give is to not start with the hard stuff, especially if you are brand new to the company or to your role. Change is hard. Change is hard for everybody. We're not really built for it as humans. So you want to start with areas that are pretty easy and fast fixes that are going to make life better for people because change is painful. So you want to alleviate that pain as much as possible. A couple of quick wins that make people's lives easier are really going to buy you a lot of goodwill so that you have allies for when you are ready to tackle that harder stuff. For those newer to the e-discovery field or even those new to a company, how do you 
you suggest an organization assesses, evaluates, or identifies risks or compliance issues? It starts with talking to people. Learn what's keeping your colleagues up at night, and if all possible, try to build cross-functional relationships with people who are outside of your team. That's often going to be folks in IT, risk, compliance, records, maybe HR, but all of those people are going to look at similar problems that you're dealing with, but with a very different lens. I really like the quote, the smartest person in the room is all of us. I think the collective can really add something that you'll never be able to get alone, even if you have all the data in front of you, because you're only able to see it from your perspective, your view, your role. So being able to get as much information as possible from a variety of viewpoints is really going to highlight for you what's working holistically and what isn't. And it's going to allow you to get that info as quickly as possible. People are also wired to like being asked for help and like feeling like an expert when you come to them. So back to the goodwill that I mentioned earlier, building those cross-functional relationships is going to make it much easier to actually get what you need done when it's not a really, really easy thing to do. So I, I think the first thing to do is talk to as many people as possible and really get exposure to those different ideas and thoughts. Well, thank you. I guess I'll ask you one more question, which is really, what are the most common mistakes that you've seen people make? I think the most common mistakes that I see are thinking that it has to be all or nothing. And well, we can't we can't bring everything in-house. We don't have the resourcing for that. Therefore, it doesn't make sense for us to bring anything in-house. And I think that leaves a lot of improvements not done. So the number one thing is remember that you can start with wherever you are at. I think building on that, you also don't need to make all of your changes at once. One thing at a time, most important thing first, and working through your list of priorities actually sets you up to be much more successful than trying to run a bunch of different initiatives and fix all the things all at once. So starting with whatever you think has the strongest likelihood of success is really a great way to start, I think. From a metrics perspective, the most common challenge I see is people not tracking metrics early enough, wanting to be able to put an ROI together or analyze how successful something is without having anything concrete about what was done before or what the spend was before, anything like that. A lot of spend, especially in legal, can be pretty opaque. It's very case-related. Things can be very lumpy. So the better your metrics now, the better you're going to be able to measure your various improvements, be they process, risk mitigation, or spend related. And it doesn't really feel like it, but if you don't have strong metrics in place, even just starting to track what is currently being done is actually a huge step that is going to give you a lot of benefit. Well, Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing your insights. I think this is going to be a valuable resource for our audience um, in terms of 
benchmarking themselves against what other organizations are doing and guiding themselves into 21 and beyond uh, with their plans and intentions, whether it's going to be process improvement, spend management, risk management, and focusing on how to identify the key metrics or KPIs that they're looking to, to use as an organization. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. Thanks you for having me.